My name is uh, Sid Moan. I serve as uh, co-director of Interfaith Action of Southwest Michigan. And uh, we're delighted uh, to present this, our third annual uh, program around faith and pride, a series that uh, we launched uh, more than three years ago to look at LGBTQ participation in faith communities here in Southwest Michigan. Uh, this year, our focus is on LGBTQ clergy who are serving faith communities in uh, Southwest Michigan. Um, we are gifted uh, this year in having four open uh, gay men who are serving in leadership within uh, faith communities the largest number of uh, open LGBTQ people uh, involved in uh, engaged faith communities here with Interfaith Action. Um, as I referenced that uh, all four of these open LGBTQ people are gay men. And to provide some uh, gender uh, perspective, <laughs> uh, we've invited no uh, a neighbor Jen. and a colleague, uh, Jen Adams, uh, who has had a long service of ministry uh, in the city of Holland. Uh, so let me uh, provide a quick introduction, moving from uh, north uh, to south in our five county jurisdiction. Uh, again, uh, Jen Adams, serving as Episcopal priest in the city of Holland, uh, then moving to Sagatuck, um, Jay Johnson, uh, serving as Episcopal priest in Sagatuck, uh, then uh, just south of uh, Jim is uh, Sal Sapienza, serving as a UCC clergy person in Douglas, then Jim Steen, uh, serving as Episcopal priest in South Haven. And then in our southernmost uh, part of our geographic area is Christopher Mergener, serving as a Presbyterian minister in Niles. So uh, let's jump in and get started. Uh, uh, each one of you are engaged in ministry in an area of Michigan that is uh, primarily rural, uh, leans to be conservative, uh, is not known for having inclusive policies that are uh, welcoming or protecting of LGBTQ uh, individuals. So uh, as open LGBTQ religious leaders, uh, that can present uh, challenges and I'm sure also presents uh, experiences of, of delight. So uh, let me start with uh, the two of you who serve the largest municipalities uh, in our area, uh, from Holland in the north uh, to Niles in the south. And uh, Jen, you bring long tenured experience in, in working in this area. And Christopher, uh, you uh, are relatively new to this area, having uh, relocated to Southwest Michigan and uh, serving in, uh, in the city of Niles. And now Niles and Holland 
uh, both known to be uh, uh, somewhat conservative municipalities. So uh, share with uh, us your experiences. Uh, what were the, your delights in arriving here? Um, and what were your challenges in uh, uh, engaging in ministry in this part of Michigan? Uh, Jen, with, uh, we'll turn to you as the longest tenured uh, uh, person uh, from the big cities in our region. Right, I, I'm glad to, first of all, that you had to go to Holland for diversity is something to note. <laughs> I don't think I've, that has happened before. So I'm kind of still excited about that, that, that you had to come to Holland to, to make this a more diverse uh, group of folks. Yeah. Um, so I arrived in 1994, which was a, a different kind of day everywhere in terms of LGBTQ folks. Mm -hmm. um, I did uh, drive across the country from Berkeley, California, which I was uh, at Graduate Theological Union there. Um, and so that was the biggest move that I've ever made from Berkeley to Holland and probably the biggest move I ever will. I'll note that Jay Johnson drove around, uh, drove across the country with me and helped deliver mm. me here. So that's uh, my fault. <laughs> Jay's fault. And we go back that far. I'm glad for that. I'm glad you're here. I had to go pick him up uh, almost 30 years later and bring him, bring him back. Um, it, it, I did wonder upon arrival what I had done and, and if this could be a place that I could live and thrive. Uh, at the time, I wasn't fully out. I was still, um, I was still working that out myself. I was 25 when I arrived, um, and and again, there weren't as many opportunities as there are now for young people uh, or awarenesses for young people. Um, and it was even more conservative, believe it or not, than it is now, or differently so. Um, Grace has been throughout the entirety of my experience here extremely welcoming, um, not only welcoming to me, but also encouraging and supportive uh, of my um, being as whole as I could be uh, as a human being and the ministry that I'm doing as well. Um, I apologize for a little background noise here. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, Delights have to do with the, the people and, and the work that we're able to do together here. Besides Grace becoming, becoming open and inclusive uh, over time has been the work that we've done in the city of Holland with regard to a non-discrimination ordinance, which is one of the most comprehensive in the state. So the work has been both, or, or I guess all internal for me in, in my uh, own work of being who I need to be in many different ways. Uh, in walking with the congregation to the point of being uh, genuinely inclusive and uh, also helping to launch some groups and movements in the larger community that have had an impact here too. I've, it's not without challenges. It's not without at times threats that, that either my spouse Beth or I received. Um, it's not without a, a sense that there is significant resistance still to the LGBTQ community. Uh, and, um, but it, the delights have outweighed 
the challenges enough that we call this place home. And um, overall, I'm grateful for that. Great. Well, uh, moving from someone who relocated from uh, the West Coast here to Southwest of Michigan uh, several decades ago, let's uh, turn to uh, Christopher, who uh, relocated from the East Coast uh, to Southwest Michigan just, uh, what, uh, two to three years ago, right, Christopher? Actually, it was in December of 2020 that I came here, so right in the middle of the pandemic. And so my ministry started virtually with people. I didn't actually meet the congregation until June. I had met some of the leaders through Zoom, like in meetings and things like that. But overall, it's been a fantastic experience. And I never dreamed that we would be so accepted in Niles, Michigan. When it first came up as a computer match for skill sets, I thought, oh, Niles, I don't really think I even want to consider that. And I bypassed them and then they called me and I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just talk to them and get a practice interview and <laughs> found us shortly into that process that this was really an opening and affirming congregation who was very supportive of my husband and I had we chose to come here. And it went pretty rapidly once we started the discussions. And it's been a great experience overall the entire time that we're here. The congregation has been extremely welcoming. Uh, we started some new services. I, my first year here, I said, I'm going to just observe. And once January hit, I thought, okay, now we need to start making some movement. And I had laid the groundwork with the session as far as opening a new LGBTQ service, a monthly service just once a month on a Sunday night. And we launched that in January and it's been going great ever since. We have on the average about 15 people, which I think is pretty good for a new ministry that's focused on LGBTQ folks and allies. So, and many of the church members actually come and support that ministry on those Sunday nights. So it's a really a nice balance and mixture between allies and people who identify in the community. So overall, it's been really good. The disappointing or the frustrating parts are is there's, one particular agency that I thought we could really partner with and move forward with. And I marched in with my flyer about the new service and the persons looked at the top of it and noticed that it was an LGBTQ thing and said, I can't support that. And I was like, oh, you can't support that for real? And then we had some discussion and I learned all the reasons why he couldn't support it. And I went back and reported to the session and to the deacons on what my conversation was with this person. And they said, well, we don't really feel like we can support that agency financially with their work or even with our manpower. And we'll, we'll support them through prayer. <laughs> I was shocked that the congregation took a much stronger stance probably than I would have taken initially. And I was like, that affirmed what I was trying to do or what we're trying to do as a church and moving the LGBTQ issues forward in this community. And since we've started this service, we've had some people who were members of the church come back who had left. And we also have new people coming not only to the service on Sunday evenings, but to the Sunday morning services as well. So it's actually starting to integrate very well. We had one person leave when we started promoting the service on Facebook, it was okay to have the service, 
just don't talk about it or tell anyone. But so we've had great response and I just, I've been so excited and feel so welcomed in this community and have the total support. I mean, we're doing a Pride Fest booth next month at the Pride Fest in Baton Harbor. So I think that's a big thing to say for the Niles community and this particular church. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, Jen referenced uh, Holland's model non-discrimination ordinance. Uh, Niles uh, does not yet have a non-discrimination ordinance, nor does uh, South Haven, uh, although uh, Interfaith Action is working with faith communities in South Haven. There's a, uh, a draft non-discrimination ordinance that uh, we are optimistically hoping can go before the city council uh, as part of a June celebration. Uh, Jim, what has it been like for you in your ministry uh, uh, in South Haven? And also reflecting on uh, your historic uh, journey as an LGBTQ priest. Uh, thank you, Sid. Uh, my situation's a little unique here because I came as a retired person uh, to Southwest Michigan. And as people say to me frequently, uh, you keep failing retirement and I've done it again. But I've actually worked at All Saints Sagatuck. Uh, I was the interim there before Jay came and I've worked there previously. And I was Jen Adams' assistant for uh, a couple of years. And uh, now I'm the uh, interim in South Haven. Uh, I think my experience as a, an out gay priest uh, was really much more interesting, as I mentioned already to Sid. Uh, before I retired than it has been since I came here. And what I mean is, I've really been through the wars uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, in the uh, 1990s. And I, I was outed on the front page of the Washington Post. Uh, I had to uh, leave a parish in Washington, was forced out of a parish in Washington when I came out uh, and became partnered. Uh, and uh, so, it's amazing to me, I guess, how different it is now. And I think that would be in Washington, D.C., as well as uh, in Southwest Michigan. Uh, since I've been here, I've, I've experienced nothing uh, but welcome uh, and openness, really. And Epiphany South Haven uh, is a great example of that. I mean, it's a parish that uh, is committed to social justice. Uh, there are very few GLBTQ people at Epiphany South Haven. Uh, they wish there were more, but uh, I think South Haven is not a particularly gay community. I don't know uh, what the percentage or the number of gay people in South Haven is, frankly, but I think nothing like uh, Saugatuck or Douglas, uh, especially uh, as a per capita, but uh, you know, I've been welcomed with open arms. And this is actually the second time that I have worked at uh, Epiphany. I worked there in 2017 for three months when the former rector, Michael Ryan, a great guy, uh, was on sabbatical. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, Jim, you referenced uh, the uh, much acclaimed uh, LGBT resorts in our area, Douglas and Sagatuck. So right. uh, let's move there uh, to Jay and Sal. Jay, uh, 
relative uh, newcomer. And Sal, uh, you have a noteworthy tenure uh, in the community. So uh, let's uh, start with you, Sal. Uh, what have been your experiences over the years at uh, Douglas United Church of Christ? Well, thank you. Yes, I became the pastor of the Douglas UCC back in 2014. Uh, uh, our church, however, has been uh, an open and affirming church for more than 30 years. Uh, in fact, if you look at the list of uh, the very first open and affirming churches in the United States, you'll see that they're in New York and Washington, D.C. and San Francisco. And then number 25 is Douglas UCC in this small little village of Southwest Michigan. We became open and affirming in 1989. Uh, and uh, you know, as we've been talking about, Saugatuck and Douglas uh, have long been very welcoming communities for the LGBTQ community. Uh, so in many ways, uh, it's not an issue for me to be a, a gay pastor in Saugatuck and Douglas. Um, however, you know, uh, as, uh, it, it's still a struggle in many ways. You know, we, we really had to fight uh, for the ordinances. We had to fight uh, last year even to have the rainbow flag put up at City Hall. Uh, I'm very happy to report that both Saugatuck and Douglas now have uh, rainbow sidewalks yes. uh, in both downtowns. <laughs> but again, it's, it's because of the work of the people in, a, in our community and in our churches uh, who've really kind of pushed for those things. Uh, in recent years, we have seen um, a very strong, uh, wealthy, conservative, evangelical uh, movement into our area in Saugatuck and Douglas, buying up waterfront properties and even planting a church. There's a big evangelical church in Holland that planted a church uh, a couple of years ago in Saugatuck uh, and said that on their website, the reason they chose Saugatuck is because they wanted to fix what was broken in the lives of the people of Saugatuck. And they wanted to tell uh, the people in Saugatuck about the real Jesus because they've been told lies about Jesus. And so I had to meet with the pastor and talk about how offensive that was. And, but, but, but they're here. And uh, so I guess what I want to communicate is even though we are in a very welcoming area, um, the, the, you know, it, it, there's still work to be done. Well, uh, thank you. And uh, uh, we continue to work with uh, uh, Sal and the folks at All Saints uh, to encourage Douglas, which has the oldest uh, non-discrimination ordinance in our area. And because they were such a pioneer, they uh, did not include transgender protections. And we continue to work with them to make that slight uh, amendment to their model uh, ordinance. Uh, Jay, uh, you've already been referenced by Jen as uh, having uh, traveled with her from West Coast uh, here to the Midwest. Uh, so uh, what are your experiences uh, as a relatively a new priest in uh, the Midwest. Yeah, thanks, Sid, and thanks. I'm really thrilled to be with all of you um, regional colleagues. This is a really great conversation, and I'm grateful for it. 
the opportunity to participate in this. Uh, and Christopher, you and I share the experience of moving to a brand new place um, right in the height of the pandemic. I moved here just a few months before you did in the summer of 2020. So it's been a really strange experience of feeling like um, here but never arrived. <laughs> so that there's a, or maybe the reverse, I've arrived, but I'm still not here. I'm not sure which it is, but um, it, it is, I want to echo what Jim was saying and Jen about it's important, I think, for us not to lose how far we've come over the last 30 or 40 years. So um, I was I entered the ordination process in the uh, suburbs of Chicago back in the mid-1980s, and it was made really clear to me that it, um, in order to be in the ordination process, I would have to agree to remain celibate. Um, and for some people, it actually wasn't appropriate for me to be in the ordination process at all, even if that were the case. So to go from that in the mid-1980s to be openly gay in a, a search process at a parish that was located in an LGBT resort town uh, on Lake Michigan is just an amazing arc that I want to make sure we don't lose uh, and, and how important uh, that is and how grateful I am for that. Um, I will say, um, yes, Saugatuck Douglas is, of course, I mean, there's rainbows everywhere. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I, I, it, it, it feels like, in a way, never having left the San Francisco Bay Area where I came from to move here, in a way. Um, I would say, though, that what I've been learning is even though there are a good number of gay couples uh, and gay people, single people at All Saints and Saugatuck, um, I think it's taken for granted a bit um, that it's okay. Um, and. I think also there is there are pockets of discomfort when it's talked about more openly um, or when it's referenced from the pulpit. So there's a kind of, uh, it's the kind of um, tolerance, I want to use that word carefully, uh, from the 80s and 90s that many of us may have been familiar with, where it's kind of a don't ask, don't tell um, posture, not for all for sure, and not even for many, but certainly for some. Um, and there's a, a, a sense in which um, it would be best if uh, we simply didn't mention it at all <laughs> for some. Now, again, that's not many, but I, I would say um, the word progressive often gets used for this area of the Michigan shoreline, um, this region and along Lake Michigan. But that certainly uh, admits many different definitions of exactly what progressive means, right? Um, and I think there's, I won't take a lot of airtime with this right now, but I hope that, uh, I think the conversations we need to be having, I would, I would recommend uh, would be a, around how to, think and talk about the intersections with LGBT issues and other social justice concerns so that these aren't siloed off uh, into their own little cubby holes or that we don't take any of the uh, um, welcome for granted. Um, I think what we're seeing in our country right now is really actually very worrisome on many fronts and we shouldn't take any of the LGBT advances for granted.
uh, in that regard. But I'm very happy to be here. I want to make sure that that is spoken loudly and clearly uh, uh, in that regard. Well, uh, uh, Jay, you must have some uh, clairvoyance as uh, uh, one of your skill sets, uh, because <laughs> I was wanting to move us towards kind of a, a future agenda. Uh, and uh, I was rereading uh, some of James Baldwin, who is, uh, was a gay black novelist and uh, activist. Uh, and a quote from him that I found very profound. And uh, I quote, the sexual question and the racial question have always been intertwined. And a society must fight for justice on many fronts at once. Uh, in June, we celebrate both Pride Month and we celebrate uh, Juneteenth. So we are looking at justice as Baldwin encourages, encourages us to do on many fronts. So what uh, guidance or, or challenge or provocation would you have for faith communities here in Southwest Michigan uh, to be such voices of justice amidst uh, a resurgence of uh, uh, anti-LGBT and critiques of critical race theory on and on and on? Where should faith communities be bearing witness on many fronts. Well, I just shared a James Baldwin uh, quote in my sermon last Sunday, Sid. Ah, uh, <laughs> and, so lots uh, of clairvoyance going on. Huh? <laughs> well, we were talking about how, you know, we're living at such a, a divisive time in our country and uh, and, you know, I, I think there's this mentality in many Christian churches that we're just supposed to be nice and, and, and you know, everybody just play nice. Um, but the Baldwin quote that I used was, he said, we can disagree and still love one another unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and the denial of my humanity and my right to exist. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we need to stand mm -hmm. is, you know, there's this whole idea of, oh, I'll just love everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but when, it, when it's rooted in people's uh, oppression, the denial of their humanity, then I think it, it is our role to speak truth. And, uh, uh, you know, even if our voices are shaking. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. Others of you, what uh, kind of guidance or challenge would you provide? Well, your, your question of where should we be in our, in our work for justice, for me, is more of a question of, is there anywhere we shouldn't be? Um, because I, I think it's something we model, work as hard as we can to model in our congregations with open conversation, honest teaching um, with prayers uh, that are to motivate us into action and thoughts that take us into places we might not have gone before in terms of awareness and what we have to learn. Um, 
for me, it's it's just not an option whether or not the church is engaged in helping justice happen in our world. It's part of our call. It's part of what it means um, to follow. And like Sal said, it's it is part of the culture, not only in churches but in West Michigan. The the nice part, and um, and and so there's a relational dimension to that, which I appreciate, and I do believe over the long haul so much of change has strands of relationship running through it. I also think that right now, simply speaking up as Christians matters a great deal. I wanna thank Interfaith Action, by the way, for the work you have done and are doing with regard to gun control, yes. uh, voting rights. All of that is so helpful to have mechanisms by which we can further coordinate and engage as a larger body. Um, because so many of the voices speaking uh, what I would see in favor of those systemic realities that maintain unjust realities in our world, so many of the voices helping sustain our Christian voices. And so I think it's just really important that we are uh, claiming our faith uh, being present wherever and however we can on every level, uh, including our day-to-day -day interactions with our neighbors. Thank you. Yeah. When I look at Jen, this, Christopher, when I look please. At issue, I, I kind of agree with what Jen was saying. I think that we have to speak our truths and we have to walk, walk our talks. And that's one of the things that people and Niles have said, we need to step up and really speak our truths and what we believe, even though there's gonna be resistance or there might be some people who don't like to listen to that. And I think the more that we live into our authentic selves, the easier it becomes. It's when we start apologizing for who we are, that the issues arise and become greater than they need to be. And it, I would rather just hit the issues dead on speaking my truth rather than trying to soft shoe it around. And I went to a preaching conference last week and one of the preachers said, enough of this fluff stuff, say what you have to say and mean it and say it with conviction. And I really believe that's such an important part of where we're at right now in the acceptance process, not only in the churches, but within the communities that we live in. So if we continue to speak our truths and walk our talks, life will be easier, even though we'll have those challenges in front of us. Thank you. And I agree with all this, but the question that I uh, that I have being involved in a small church is um, just how can a church like Epiphany South Haven really make an effective witness? I mean, Epiphany does a lot of good things uh, from feeding the hungry to witnessing for immigrant justice. But um, in terms of the GLBT issue, that's really where I'm where I am right now, of course, because that's what this conversation is about. I mean, what can we do is the question I'm asking that really will can make a difference in South Haven, Michigan. Well, a quick footnote and uh, I had uh, conversations with uh, members of your vestry this morning is- Great. I uh, wish I'd been there. I'm sorry I wasn't. No, that's quite all right. Uh, reaching out to the mayor and the city manager Great. to say, uh, We've waited for more than two years and looking at a non-discrimination right, ordinance right. now's the time. So right. one practical step. No, that's good. I mean, you gotta 
do it where you can and, and, and right. grab the issues that are present. So that's great. And, and Jay, a, a final yeah. word on this? Oh, final. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, I'll talk. I mean, what everybody said, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, I think um, uh, this, uh, I'm pausing because now, now we've got this stuff in the in the wider culture about the dangers of critical race theory and all this stuff, you know, that are being used by certain um, uh, groups and politicians to divide us further. And of course, the irony is that many of those tools, those critical tools, were meant to create communities where diversity is more welcome, not where it's divided further. Right. So if we can figure out ways, I, I think about this all the time, how can we create spaces in our congregations where, where people can learn and think and talk with each other about how how would well, that James Baldwin quote said, how is it that race and sexuality have always been intertwined? What in the world does that mean? What does race have to do with sexuality? Um, th those are powerful questions that I know make lots of people really uncomfortable, but they also can open up uh, horizons in our lives of faith and in Christian traditions that wouldn't be there otherwise if we didn't ask these really difficult questions. Um, and to to notice that you know the when we create welcoming congregations that can be a kind of dicey word if there's a little asterisk next to the word welcome right that says well uh, we'd really like it if you looked and act like us and we'd be very happy to welcome you then but if you know i think our big challenge is to figure out what an embrace of diversity really looks like and what we can learn from that and i know that can sometimes be a challenge in our communities but um it's where i think god might be calling us to go with our welcome that was rambly but hopefully no not at all well uh, thank you very much for that and in, in fact, as uh, we hope that uh, small groups within our faith communities continue this conversation uh, that you all have launched, mm -hmm. that they will add uh, to the dialogue uh, two new tools that uh, Interfaith Action will be presenting uh, in June as part of our All Are Welcome uh, initiative. Good. Each one of your congregations uh, is a member of our All Are Welcome uh, initiative, which means that you have inclusive policy statements, uh, your own non-discrimination ordinances, uh, so to speak. Uh, but we are wanting in June to encourage uh, faith communities to take a next step uh, from policy uh, to practice, as Christopher was saying, uh, to ensure that we're not just talking the talk, but we're also uh, walking the walk. Uh, we'll be releasing two checklists. One is how do you move from uh, a policy commitment around LGBTQ inclusion to practical manifestations right. of that inclusion. And a, a second checklist, which is how can you prove that you are walking the walk of being an anti-racist congregation? Yes, Recognizing right. that many congregations have done 
uh, awesome work around anti-racism study and education. And now how do we build on that study and, and education uh, with pragmatic uh, actions? So I thank uh, the five of you for uh, kind of uh, launching this celebration of pride and for moving us into more in-depth discussions and behavioral changes in our faith communities. As we model uh, being inclusive communities or as Martin Luther King would say, uh, beloved uh, communities. So thanks for your uh, leadership in doing that, for your guidance as we move towards uh, the future uh, in being communities of justice uh, that are pointing a, a way of hope uh, for us here in Southwest Michigan, as well as uh, for our country. Uh, thank you for that and uh, uh, happy pride to everyone. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you, Sid. Thanks, Thanks for the work you've done. Thanks. Great. Good to see everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.